We have partnered with 160 plus IPs and brands and celebrities. One of my now close friends, uh, Bert Toast, and just said, hey, you know, do you want to do a collectibles project? Neil never expected the, the, the level of exposure that the project got. <laughs> I couldn't believe what was going on. When I came in, board apes had me even drop. And that book NFT will be the beginning of our roadmap 2.0. And some people will want to take them out of the digital packaging. So at an estimate, we've given back, you know, something in the realm of 15 million US dollars to our community. And that's before we've even had a closed alpha go live. When we have a movie, it's a big question. When we have a movie. Everything of what we're doing, to be honest, is putting the player first. Hello, welcome to another episode of Shot to the Moon. My name is Von Schiller. It's an absolute pleasure to be entering your thoughts and making you think a little bit over the next hour or so. We got two interviews lined up that are going to be insane, but of course, we got to talk about just the space overall to begin with. So Artifact, we're going to be talking about Crypto Kicks, Starbucks within Web3, Takashi Murakami, the chance for you to potentially make a huge W. Arcade.inc. Do you guys remember the game that was created for Board Ape Yacht Club, the mobile one? It was pretty fun. And then they dropped an NFT and the NFT crashed, but they're partnered with almost everybody in the space. Talking a little bit about Alluvium, they had a sporting partnership of all things. We've seen that with Pixel Vault. Just a little bit of a deep dive into that and seeing is this something that's going to be a bigger component as we move forward? And then listen, we got to talk about the FUD. The last little bit has been ridiculous. If you were somebody who uses social media, specifically Twitter, following a lot of different accounts, just NFTs in general, wah, 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 it's been horrific in terms of the FUD, the negativity. Think about the messaging that somebody new who's thinking, hey, maybe I want to get into this NFT thing. They start researching and seeing all this negativity. We're doing a terrible job of onboarding, an absolute terrible one let's get into our first talking point of the day. So again, I love on social media. Listen, it's it's pretty much what I do. It's not good. It's not healthy, but hey, it's it is what it is. So scrolling along and I saw this quick little like three tweet thread regarding the Artifact X Nike Dunk Genesis Crypto Kicks. It's Nike. I say Nike. You say Nike. Comprendo, compende. We're on the same page. So anyway, this is how the thread went. It really made me think, and that's what I'm wanting to uh, always bring you guys, something to make you think. I'm sharing my two cents about this being a sneakerhead for 15 years. Every time a limited Air Jordan or Dunk release, at least 50,000 pairs are being manufactured, and people paid thousands on those so-called limited edition. And you don't even know the sneaker you purchased are authentic or replica anymore, even from big platform like StockX. Now, 12,600 supply of Nike Dunk Crypto Kicks, the tech, Forge, just think about it. And yes, I own sample room and factories in Guangzhou. I've been in footwear industry for eight years, and this is the first ever Nike's, Nike's digital sneaker. Think about if you own a pair of the first ever Air Force One or Air Jordan One from like 1895, how much would it be worth? And it's got me thinking, okay, dude, like maybe, all right? I'm not huge into sneakers. I've bought in a few pairs. I, they're right. I've looked at StockX before. 
For somebody that's in the shoe industry, would you think that spending $1,324 for a digital pair of shoes officially made by Nike, the first one ever, would this be a respectable buy? And maybe, maybe we're talking about the onboarding aspect and what's actually going to be that next catalyst. And this could very well be this. Uh, but if you want to just check out the person who made that thread, it's at Taiwan Swag with two G's on the end. All right, we're continuing our talk about onboarding some big brands just in general. Starbucks announcing that they are going to be entering Web3 through their earnings call of all things, making the announcement saying that they are wanting to create a branded NFT collection that is going to grant access to exclusive perks and experiences. Also sounds like they are wanting to partner with other like-minded brands. I don't really look or think of certain brands for certain aspects, right? Like if we're thinking a forward-thinking brand that's a big one, to be honest, I couldn't come up with something right off the top of my head. You might be able to, but just in terms of popular brands that might fit to have an NFT collab for experiences and whatnot, well, it would kind of work if you're any sports league. Imagine a Starbucks X NHL one. You go, you can get some free Starbucks before the game. You go to the game, they have tickets. Maybe there's some kind of package giveaway of some sort. Hell, even Cineplex. What if Cineplex got into the mix and you were able to go for coffee beforehand and then go to a movie? The options are endless, but it is really cool to see some of these massive brands continue to look at Web3. They've also said that they are wanting to go with an environmentally friendly blockchain, so I don't know which one that's going to be, but we'll keep our eyes open for that. Now, listen, there's few times when there is an opportunity that's sitting right in front of you, and this one might be it. If you happen to know Takashi Murakami, he's a notable artist. He's been uh, collaborated within the Artifact Clone X, as well as the creator of Murakami Flowers, which is kind of this pixelated NFT collection of flowers. They recently had a Murakami Lucky Cat Coin Bank, and there was a surplus of the NFTs that were available. So they opened up the opportunity for you to register and basically get into a raffle. You have to have 0.0727 Ethereum within your wallet to mint this. They're currently selling on OpenSea for 0.26 Ethereum. So obviously there's a little bit of a ho-ho-ho right in there if you're wanting to do that. But know that the draw ends tonight. If you're listening on Friday, the 12th of August, and it's ending at 7.59 p.m. EST. So there's two ways that I'm going to try to tell you how to do it, because again, this is audio, so it's a little bit more difficult. But you can find the link on Takashi Murakami's Twitter at Takashi, T-A-K-A-S-H-I-P-O-M. Or if you go to Premint, here's the link, www.premint.xyz slash Murakami hyphen lucky hyphen cat hyphen coin hyphen bank hyphen lottery right side slash. Huh? Eh? Eh? Anyway, just go check out the Twitter. If you have a shot to the moon space pass, posted it in there. So just scroll up a little bit or search my name and you should find the link. Uh, but good luck. Have fun if you enter that raffle. OK, so Arcade, if you guys remember back in the day, there was a mobile game. The Board Ape Yacht Club had 
that they had a bunch of prizes for. The game was pretty fun. It was more or less time consuming than anything, but I would argue a lot of people found it fun, maybe a little bit too much of a grind. But that company decided that they were going to drop their own NFTs shortly after in the form of, well, basically Metaverse Land. Right now, if you are going to try to pick one of these up, they're basically 0.16 Ethereum, otherwise $300, and they are only out of 10,000 items. Now, Mark Cuban said buying Metaverse Land's bullshit, a whole bunch of other stuff. Totally understand that, totally get that perspective. But just for something that is of such a low quantity, when we know that Alluvium, for example, that we're about to talk about, has 100,000 land that's going to happen other side with Yuga Labs and Board API Club going to have 200,000. The list goes on. There is a lot of land out there, and this one seems relatively inexpensive for the supply that there is. And, you know, when it first came out, it was significantly more expensive than what it is right now. And why I want to highlight it is because user base, the onboarding, that's really what's going to be imperative for these different metaverses, for these different games. And specifically with Arcade, they've already partnered with almost everybody. World of Women, Cyber Kongs, Wonder Pals, Imposters, Drippies, Cool Man's Universe, Mechaverse. The list goes on. And all those people that have those NFTs are 100% going to be pushed or highlighted within this collection when the game's playable. From their website, they say that the Arcade Land gives you drops, tokens, NFTs, Metaverse and game resources community, access to additional drops, merch, and events, and the opportunity to earn through renting, advertising. You can launch stores, create items with your land's resources. And the uh, only thing to note when you're looking at these is that there is different land sizes, and it highlights on their site that the larger lands get more tokens, more resources, more perks, more spaces, more unique access in larger land. Also uh, gain access to unique land items. Now, last week, I said that I tried out the Alluvium beta game, and I had a lot of fun with it. I thought it was super cool, and they recently announced a sporting partnership with a rugby team in Australia, the Canterbury Bankstown Bulldogs. I've never heard of this, but again, I'm Canadian, so ah, can't double you. We do like rugby over here, though, so, so don't let me fool you on that one, but given a little bit of a background... For it, they play for the National Rugby League. They have 286,000 followers on Facebook, 101,000 on Twitter, and 178,000 on Instagram. Just so you have a little bit of an idea in terms of the size of it. For this collaborative NFT collectible, it's 199 Australian dollars, 141 US dollars, or 0.08 Ethereum, and you can get an Alluvium X Bulldogs jersey and cosplay NFT. 19 of the jerseys will be signed by the players, and I think it's just another step where there's this kind of crossover. Maybe there's attempted onboarding people from the traditional world to the wonderful world of Web ba 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 3. We are just a moment away from getting into the interviews here, but I just want to talk. The past few weeks on social media have been insane. We've seen some incredible FUD, people accusing teams of doing absolutely nothing that are really some of the arguable top teams in the space or were previously looked at as top 10 within NFTs. We're in early, early stages of what Web3 as an ethos can become. 
There's a lot of loud voices out there. There's a lot of opinions, a lot of thoughts, and a lot of ways that you are going to get persuaded throughout this journey. Even for myself, when you're listening right here, certain things I'm talking about, I have a vested interest in. And you'll see other people that also have that, and the way that they talk will reflect that. I try to be somewhat unbiased on different things, but I just wanted to kind of highlight that, remember, every time there's a very one-sided opinion or vitriol reaction to things, they're probably not super well-informed. Maybe it's engagement farming, or maybe they're just being extremely emotional. There's a lot of different rationales and reasons for things, but always think for yourself, always do your own research, and remember, this is a breakthrough technology that we're experiencing, potentially one of the biggest shakeups in finances ever, amongst just the fun digital collectible stuff. But that's what we're going to get into in our first interview here. Let me kick it off. I hope you guys enjoy this. Welcome, welcome. Another day, another interview. I hope you guys have had a fantastic week. And this time around, we got somebody a little bit different for you. We had two projects last week. This time we thought we would kind of go out and find someone who's a part of a consultancy agency, a host of another podcast, and the CEO and co-founder of NFT Ints, Moshe. Hello, hello. Welcome to the show. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you? Good, good. So with this, I think we're going to have kind of like an open forum discussion regarding things that are happening within the NFT space, Web3 overall. But you want to give a little bit of a background about how you got involved in the space and then what you do currently. I got into using Bitcoin back, you know, in 2014 for purchases online, got into Ethereum in 2017, watched NFTs launch, you know, that's uh, the Crypto Kitties, Crypto Punks. I was a big fan of Larva Labs waiting for their Android launcher that never uh, materialized. I went full into blockchain in 2020. I have a marketing background. Uh, marketing is, is my uh, passion. I have a, I had a web two agency, you know, a regular marketing agency, you know, back in web two, I took a job working for a NFT news blog. We started, this was in June of 2021. So from launch until it sold out, I was head of media marketing. And then I transitioned into full-time, you know, web three at that time. So I launched a agency, a marketing agency and consulting in web three. So that, that is NFT once I hosted two, 3,000 hours of uh, Twitter spaces, you know, back when they first launched in August of 2021. And, uh, you know, I, then the podcast launched every, everything around there. And now it's just how, how much tools I can build to, for the blockchain space. I, I truly believe this is, you know, the greatest revolution since the internet itself. That's my passion now. <laughs> I love it. The, the notion that this is potentially once in a lifetime opportunity for many people and that we're potentially living amongst the biggest shakeup in financial history is kind of crazy. It's also scary in the same sense. But speaking for the NFT side of things here, we're having a lot of questions being posed. Is NFTs security? Are these going to be sustainable? In a lot of people's viewpoints, we've had, obviously, with the likes of NBA Top Shot, who's got licensing deals with some of the biggest brands. We see Bose recently partnered up with Stickman Toys. And again and again, we're seeing bigger and bigger companies coming into the space to try to legitimize things. 
How big of a statement is it when we have one of these big Web 2 brands come into the Web 3 space? Is it something that we uh, should really be paying attention to? Is it something that a lot of people just kind of, for whatever reason, go and say, oh, this is a cash grab for some circumstances? Or what's your kind of overall take with these bigger brands coming into Web 3? So I think that it's all true. It is something we should be paying attention to. A lot of these brands do come in for a cash grab without understanding the space. I mean, most recently we saw, you know, uh, Tiffany, how they fill drop. You watch Chevrolet, how they fill drop. A lot of companies come in and don't really know what they're doing. They don't, they don't have a legitimacy in here. You've seen a lot of big celebrities have uh, big failures in the space as well, right? Uh, you know, you talk Floyd Mayweather. If you have ma- major celebrities who are, you know, uh, really, really just trying to grab some cash, at the same time, every time that the fact that they're taking notice of it and they're coming into this industry versus, you know, 12 months ago, 24 months ago when they weren't paying attention, that is, you know, it's good enough. That That is that is good enough to say this is this is cool that they're doing it. At the same time, be aware it might not be something you want to invest into. So one of the biggest shifts that I've been kind of thinking about or or noticing and we're seeing some backlash kind of around it is there's a lot of collections that are launching things before there's any kind of substance to it. We could look at Doodles with the Genesis boxes where they had that sale from the English auction and the, you know, not that we want to focus only on the price point, but, you know, the the value of what that is if you ended up buying within that you're down quite horrifically same thing with the pixel vault planets and you know that was several months ago why do you think so many of these nft companies who we know have some significant secondary fees we know have originally high raises and then they go and do these other sales is it something that these companies are looking at getting the best of the best and are actually burning through all that money and we're just not seeing the results yet because it's kind of hidden and when it's fully out, they want to show it? Or do you think that there is kind of some real concern for, oh crap, we haven't seen anything, what's going on or why these guys kind of launched months ahead of being able to actually deliver something for them? Absolutely, there there is going to be on, you know, people and projects who are doing both of them, right? So you're going to have projects who are actually legitimately building. You take a, a you know, Board Ape Yachts, right? Board Ape Yacht Club. Um, they went ahead and launched at 0.08 ETH, built a, gave a ton of value to the community. And now you're looking at, uh, they provided so much value to them. So now every time they do a drop, they built up such a loyal fan base, they'll continue to make money. They, they made, you know, a ton of money. And they did it in what I would say is the right way to do it versus, you know, projects that uh, launch with a one ETH and all the value in the project is, you know, um, 1000 ETH and they launch a, a uh, let's say a 0.1 ETH they launch and they have, you know, they have a thousand, 10,000 in the collection. So they make all that 1000 ETH value is given to them right at the beginning. There's no value left in the collection to go. Secondary market plummets and the project, you know, one cup put, that's it. So it really depends on, you know, who are the founders? What uh, history do they have? Are they docs or not? You know, you can look at obvious red flags, look at, you know, the dedication to do the uh, transparency. Are they communi- Are they communicating with the uh, people involved in the project? Because again, right, they're, you know, the community, it's investors. It depends on whether, again, the commodity versus security, what kind of project are they trying to make? Are they trying to make a you know, uh, NFT yield project where they're trying to give you money. If so, you have a, you know, very big requirement to, 
give back to the community, right? Because that's what you're promising. Give back to your investors. They're not just community members, they're investors in your project. It really depends on what the project is, what they're focusing on. I, you know, personally like to work with companies that are companies that are utilizing Web3 technology rather than we are an NFT project, because what do you actually do? Why do you need NFTs? It's a question I ask every person who, you know, comes to me with their project is, okay, so why are NFTs necessary for your business model? You're trying to sell merch. So your project is, uh, we make, we, you buy our NFT, we give you merch. Okay. So why don't you just sell NFT? Why don't you just sell, you know, uh, why do you sell the NFT? Just sell the merch or your subscription for, um, you know, I, I saw a project they, they wanted to do drinks. They would give out like a different, um, uh, alcoholic drinks, right? It's like, okay, so why don't you just have a regular subscription model? You know, like you, like they existed before. If NFTs aren't doing something special for your company, then why have them? That's a question you have to be able to answer as well as with your supply. Why is your supply 10,000? Why not 9,000 or a hundred thousand? Any, anything that you're doing, you have to have a reasoning behind it or otherwise you just don't have a plan. You're just trying to grab people's money. You could have all the best intentions, but you just don't know what you're doing. And that's what we call a, uh, you know, whether it's a, a rug or not, at the end of the day, whether it was malicious or not, at the end of the day, you are rugging projects, um, you know, by negligence rather than malicious intent. I think that it's super interesting the way that you kind of position that because it's making me think and I guess kind of realize with a lot of these ideas, right? Why why is merch successful with a lot of these projects? What What's the point of that? And, you know, how do they start? And it feels that with the wave that kind of happened after CryptoPunks really started picking up again. And, you know, I, I would heavily weigh on Board Ape Yacht Club having the explosion that it did. And we saw a lot of other projects like Cat Gang, Cool Cats, like everything really start flying. And they were like, OK, so we have these NFTs that are just NFTs. But now what's the game plan for more? And a lot of them have delivered that. But to your point regarding why is there an NFT needed? Well, is it just something that adds value because it's within the web three space. We've had discussions before with different guests about, you know, what's going to be more successful, a uh, let's just call it a show. That's not web three native and just kind of created from nothing or, you know, five years down the line from now, is it something that started within web three overall? I think there's so much things that are really native to web three. It's more just, utilizing the technology to enhance, make something better that already exists. That's a question that, you know, the naysayers always ask is, why do I need NFTs for this? And as a advisor to many companies, that's something I ask them all the time is why you need NFTs for this? Why is Web3 necessary what you're trying to build? So that that is a very valid question. Um, you know, is, is it really something native to Web3 or not? Is it something that's uh, special? So we'll talk about uh, fan experiences, right? Are, are you familiar with the... You know, this was back in the 90s. They would have uh, a musician, a band would have, uh, you pay, you know, eight, nine dollars a month and they give you like early access to things. Oh, really? No, I was like born in 94. So. <laughs> oh, I'm, 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 I was born after you, but, you know, I, I studied a lot of the. Of the yeah, no, and, I love it. I love it. That's actually hilarious. <laughs> yeah. So th this was something that, that they were doing back then. And with NFTs, if you are a, um, you know, you're a, you're a musician, then that is a great way to do it. You could give uh, so much value. I think Tory Lanez did it really well with his first project when he dropped an album that was NFT only and it was uh, a dollar for the album. 
and then it was trading at thousands of dollars, you know, for, for a copy of the album, which was bought for a dollar. So you're supporting your creator and then they're supporting you back with giving you the music early and unique experience. And you're also getting um, to resell it again. So you're also owning part of it. It's a much more intimate relationship with the creator at he sold a million dollar project out in what was the 90 seconds. So he made a million dollars just like that. And his fans keep making money. He makes money off secondary. That's a win-win for all. That's a great, you know, way to do it. And if you complement that with, uh, you know, future eardrops, uh, you could do clips. You could also sell parts of a song, right? So you could sell, um, I met this company at NFT NYC and they were doing uh, fractionalized music. So you could buy into a future song, especially if it's a big artist, then it's a great investment. So, uh, you know, think of, let's say the baby is dropping a new album soon, right? If he goes ahead and takes one song and says, you could buy a share of this and whatever he sets that price at, you could spend as little as let's say $10 and then you get that percentage like a stock. You're investing into that song and you could also then get the song sent to you a day earlier, right? So you could create a lot of things around that and NFTs are cool to do that because you could have unique experiences. Is it possible to do this without NFTs? Sure, but there, and it is making a better system. So that's the crucial thing that every project has to ask himself when you want to go ahead and utilize NFTs for what you're doing, are they necessary? And if they are necessary, am I just copying another project with another animal or am I actually doing something new and unique? I want to stay on the topic of Web3 native projects, collections, companies. And the discussion lately, it seems, is that Everyone says Yuga Labs, Board Ape Yacht Club, they're the top. There's absolutely nobody close. This is extremely bad for the space. What's your take on that? I mean, we can go ahead and talk about smartphones and say Apple and Samsung, right? So I think that it exists in every industry, whether it's, I don't really have an opinion on whether it's good or it's bad. It kind of has to be because again, in order for something to get better, you're going to have people are going to continue to try to challenge them. So you still have, you know, in the Android space, you're going to have a lot of competitors um, who try to do something, try to compete with Samsung. Apple, you know, dominates in, they're, they're the only uh, company that works with iOS. So with that operating system, they have the monopoly on. Uh, when you go to Android, you have companies that are trying to compete, but Samsung still holds supreme. And you could go into, uh, you know, computer companies, you could go into car companies, you go into every industry. There are the people who are dominating, right? Uh you know, the, you know, talk about the internet itself is the, the access to the internet. You have the big three, the big four in every country that dominate it. Um, and, you know, it's something, it's just a fact of our industry, good or bad. It, it's just the reality of life. You know, you're going to have uh, companies that dominate. And Yugo Labs, uh, after having purchased also CryptoPunks and, uh, and uh, Mebits, they really, uh, they really do. Uh, there is really, the second place is so far away. I wouldn't even know who, who to really classify the amount of companies and projects under Yuga Labs. And as they continue to advance with, you know, Metaverse and with other deeds and the amount of value that they provided back with, you know, ApeCoin drops and then they using uh, ApeCoin for other projects as well. It's you really, there's nothing, 10KTF, you know, uh, you know, is uh, utilizing ApeCoin soon. If you, if you heard about that, you know, th thing, things like that, it's, there's, there's no one who's really competing with them. The idea of scarcity, the digital identity and a lot of things, you know, I, I feel like the original discussions that people had months ago faded a little bit, but not entirely. My question for you 
regarding <clears throat> the future of the space, we had NBA Top Shot be that on board or the brought in millions. And then there was trades where people ended up getting in the CryptoPunk ecosystem, board a yacht club ecosystem, and you know, pretty much any other NFTs outside of that, because there was so many people that were engaged in NFTs through NBA Top Shot. And we were all about that digital identity when we kind of shifted away from that. And we're seeing Top Shot really make it kind of a big uh comeback, if you will. But at the same time, I doesn't really feel like Top Shot's onboarding a ton of people. It doesn't feel like some of these other top NFTs are really onboarding many people. It does very much feel like we're kind of, you know, trading amongst ourselves. So how do we onboard the next generation for Web3 and NFT assets? Is it something where it's going to be a collection that just does something that's a game? And it's going to be amazing. Is it going to be, as you said earlier, with some different musicians being like, hey, come share the royalties with this. And people are like, yo, I get to own a song of my favorite musician. Is it big time artists like Damien Hurst that come into the space to get a lot of attention? What do you kind of see as the next big onboarder? I love that question. I gave a talk at uh, NFT NYC and the topic was um, NFT 2.0. And, you know, uh, that, that was my whole presentation also. It was just a single slide that's the NFT 2.0. And, you know, the topic of onboarding, of whose, you know, responsibility it is, um, all that, I think it's very simple. Um, it, you, no one needs to onboard. No, nobody needs to spend time trying to onboard people. People will come when the project, when the tech is good enough, right? In, in marketing, there's the, you have the, uh, the graph of the, the early adapters, the neophiliacs, the people who chase the new, and they're willing to deal with all the bugs and obstacles that come along with it. Right now, uh, I have a friend of mine just today texting me a few hours ago, hey, I want to get into cryptocurrency, NFTs, want to learn about it, what should I do? I said, take the next month, spend two hours a night, put in 50 hours, and research as much as you can across YouTube, uh, um, podcasts, blogs, read, whatever you know your best method of learning is, put 50 hours in and come back to me and, you know, we'll, we'll direct you from there. I'll give you a ton of resources to start exploring after that. But that is required right now and it should not be. Let's talk about, uh, you know, you, you own a smartphone, you use Google Maps. You use Google Maps or Apple? Like, which one are you using? Uh, yeah, to be honest, I, on my previous job, there's a little bit of a offside. I think I was using... Uh, the phone that was on my iPhone and it, it brought me to like completely the wrong place that I was going to. So I think Google Maps is supposed to be the better one, but I don't even know. So wh whichever one you are using, you you can get from point A to point B without um, knowing how the algorithm works, right? You, you are able to just enter in your address. Right, right. Oh, OK. Yeah, OK. Yeah, for sure. That aspect of it, of just putting in your um, at your location you're trying to get to, and it just brings you there. It needs to be, the user experience needs to be that simple and seamless, right? Most people don't know the algorithm and Google Maps works. They just follow the directions. Blockchain apps don't need to educate users about NFTs. They just need to make it easy to use. The, the whole idea of education is terrible. We need less education in NFTs. We need simplification that doesn't require education. If you have a product that you're trying to sell and, you know, customer acquisition is usually your greatest cost. If you have to spend so much money educating your customer on what the product is and why they should use it, why they care, you're going to spend so much money in advertising, it's going to cut your margins uh, terribly, 
right? So when you want to, you want to talk about, I'm a big time Android user. You want to talk about how to make NFTs, you know, onboard more people. Just think about Apple, simplicity, ease of use, all, you know, the different protocols you want to talk about. The only proof of anything I want to hear about is proof of ease of use. Give me a easy experience, right? The UX is the most uh, important thing. The UI, you, I, I work, I'm at a company at uh, NFT NYC also that um, has one click to, you know, sign in with us at Google, Apple, Facebook, any Twitter, any kind of, you know, add in one click to sign in and they create you a wallet that is initially is going to be custodial. You could buy your NFT with um, a credit card, PayPal, Google Pay, Apple Pay, etc. And then with one click, you could export that wallet into a non-custodial wallet, which is like, that's genius. That is what is very much needed in the space. And if every project starts using that, you could just send somebody a link, they go to the website, buy the NFT, and it's theirs just like that. They don't need to do all that education. Now, granted, afterwards they will, but this is just a first step of what it should look like when that education is no longer needed. So we're talking about how we can onboard people and just comes down to kind of the technology and ease of use. But we're also realizing or have realized over the past little bit that price of things of if you buy it and then it suddenly goes down a lot people kind of steer clear and we've seen a lot of people completely exit the space whether it be kind of the crypto downturn uh just for bitcoin and ethereum that affected nfts could be kind of like the the world environment and having some scares there so i'm curious for you how do you kind of foresee the next couple of months playing out do you have any kind of predictions or things or do you just know that yeah this web3 nft thing is going to be here to stay or do you think that it's going to kind of be in this bear market for a little bit that people are talking about the bear market doesn't really exist as far as nfts go um you know the people who are building legitimate products they'll still drop them now and people will still buy them because it's a legitimate asset of what you're creating there's value in there if the age of the gold rush where it was just you spend twenty thousand dollars on fiverr and you have yourself a collection that makes you four million dollars you mint out by spending 50k on influencers and you just made four million off that they're all in for, you know, under 100K. It doesn't exist anymore, and that's a good thing. It means that the market no longer tolerates that, and there's a higher standard. The bar is higher. Now, people who didn't understand the industry bought in a lot of money. You talk about, uh, you know, why the recession came, why the stock market had, you know, its, its downturns. Um, a lot of it, you know, COVID had the stimulus checks came in. A lot of people had money and just threw it into investments they didn't understand. They weren't investments. You're just buying into nothing. Uh, a lot of the, most of these projects didn't have terms of sale, which means that you don't you didn't actually buy anything. You bought a you paid money to get a receipt to something you don't own. It, it just makes zero sense. Um, talk about uh, you know Moonbirds recently changing their copyright. It was straight up in their term in their uh, in their TOS. It was very straight up in their TOS that they can't do that. Proof reserves the right to do that. People are upset about it. Like sure, it's a not a nice thing to do to change that that you own the IP. And now the IP is free for use, right? Um, the, changing it to CCO from, from your IP, not a nice thing to do, but they're certainly entitled to do so because it's in the TOS. If you didn't read the TOS of a product, that's your fault. Now, again, this is a new industry. So, you know, there aren't the, you know, every time there's a new update of Apple or Google, there are people who are actually reading those TOS that we all click through, right? So that's everyone's answer. We don't, no one reads that. In, in a more established space, there are people who do actually go ahead and read those. And, you know, in this space, um, you know, there's a, I forgot the Latin for it, but it's, you know, let the buyer beware. Um, 
it's very important. People need to understand what it is they're buying. So in terms of what the future will look like, you know, you're going to see projects put out more quality. The bar is raised higher. People are less, they're more educated not to just buy into absolute garbage. Uh, people care more about having docs founders who are more accountable. People who have done things in the space. Uh, you know, what is your track record is very important. Uh, you know, what is your accountability? What have you previously done? You, you, something really cool about DeFi is, you know, someone like Do Kwan will never work in the space again after, you know, uh, the whole Luna uh, saga versus in traditional, um, you know, traditional finance, you have banks that just get bailed out by bailed out by the government, right? And they take care of all that. So you could do the same screw ups that go on in DeFi and people point it out and go, oh, this network did this, this network did that. In traditional finance, they just get billed out by the governments, right? You know, go back to 2008. Um, so that, that's something, uh, the beer market, the future, I think it's really just, you're going to see the real builders come out. The people are here still, the quote unquote influencers who stayed on. Um, all the people who left, they, they weren't really in it for the right reasons. I, I believe NFTs are the future. I believe blockchain is the future. But I'm not focused on the digital art pieces. I'm focused on um, what they can do for disrupting every single market. The, what the tech of NFTs and their true purpose is going to be is passport and licenses, medical records, real estate, uh, gaming, right? Digital ownership, your libraries, you go ahead and buy and, uh, you know, spend money on Spotify. My Spotify algorithmic based playlist specific towards me means so much to me. It's so awesome. That's why I love it. Now, however, my entire digital library that I have on Spotify is subject to terms of use. Your entire library can be forfeited if those terms are quote unquote violated or perceived to be violated by them. So they could just tell you your account is gone. There's nothing you could do about it. All, all you did in there. That was, uh, you know, one of Vitalik's uh, core inspirations for creating Ethereum is he was playing a video game and they deleted his account. He lost all of his hours on there. So that's, uh, you know, soulbound NFTs include driver licenses, diplomas, certifications, uh, proof of attendance. So soulbound NFTs can be told, can be sold, and that is so uh, vital to to the world. Blockchain having. Uh, your birth certificate on the blockchain, having your uh, job, your job history on the blockchain. These are these are all, you know, as sold on NFTs. That is incredible. I think that is the future, and I think that the beer market, uh, for however long that it does last, that you're not seeing the same, um, you know, volume. That's in as much as uh, you know the stock market, and everything else that's going on. It just needs the the technology to make the ease of use easier, the user experience better. And I think we'll be uh, way past and reach greater highs than we ever have. I think the soulbound NFT aspect or when we start getting, you know, those drive, excuse me, when we start getting those driver license uh, and, and birth certificates and stuff on the blockchain, it's a wild concept to think about. I love that you're bringing up Vitalik with the unsaved video game. I can imagine everybody's felt that, whether it be a game like Zoo Tycoon way back in the day, forgetting to save your zoo, or uh, maybe just doing some kind of work and the computer crashing, or you forgetting to do it. But listen, Abosha, as we're coming to a close here, I want to ask four different thoughts from you here. I want you to give me two things that you think that projects or companies should do or have figured out before they launch, if you can, and then two things that you think NFT collectors should be aware of before getting into a project. Okay, so first of all, for let's, let's go, go first, the projects. Um, every, every metric that you're using, whether that for, for volume, uh, what your community size is, who your target audience is all, you should have clearly defined written answers to that. You should know 
why you're doing everything. You should have answers to all, all those questions that we mentioned before, right? About why you have volume, what that you do, um, the, all the experiences you're adding on, why NFTs are necessary. Uh, is your team the right fit? How long will you actually do this for? You, you need to prepare a proper team that is very well educated on why you're doing it all. You have to have those answers ready. It needs to be structured correctly. Those are, those are just essentials. You have to create a checklist and you should have it run through by a um, advisor in the space, someone who's been there long enough, who understands the space properly. And you should ask yourself the simple question. If Chevrolet failed, if, you know, big influencers who, you know, beyond influencers, you talk about, you know, uh, Floyd Mayweather, uh, Trey Songs, you talk about, you know, major celebrities who do drops and they fail. Why is your project different? What unique value are you bringing? What value are you bringing to your holders? And why does it need to be an NFT? Those are the, you know, it's, uh, those are the simple things that a, um, should be basics for every founder. In terms of a collector, you should be asking yourself those same questions of why is this necessary? Why will it have value? If you are buying into something as the beginning of a, um, a explained multi-level marketing scheme, then that, that is your, you have to know what you're doing. Whenever you're buying into something, understand what you're doing. For example, there are many projects who we don't offer any value. It's just a PFP. And the way you get value is you pay us a lot of money. You convince more people to buy into this project. Floor price goes up, then you make money. So a lot of those uh, can resemble you know, what a multi-level marketing scheme or a Ponzi scheme could look like without the lie to the first people. It's very well known what's going on. And it's just, it's a game of hot potato where everyone makes money until the last people get caught with the bag. I mean, I invested into uh, Time Wonderland and I made a nice amount of money on that with a very small investment because the APY they're offering was insane until the project rugs and the last people you know involved lost a lot of money because that's uh, that's the way these things work. So when you buy into something like that, um, be aware, understand what it is you're buying into, know who the team is. At the very basic, just go onto the project's website, um, look at who the team is, uh, check out their social media, see if it's, there's any you know basic red flags of um, bot followers, what their engagement's like, check their Discord, how many live members they have, go into chat, send a message in general and see who responds, what they respond. Uh, there, there's so many basic uh, you know red flags to look for. It's just do, do the, it's not even research, the due diligence of two minutes of just searching, right? Click on their, on their website, uh, see how it looks, check everything. If their utility makes sense, it just understand what you're buying and then just verify that everything they say is legit. Moshe, this has been a crazy fun interview. And listen, we got to have you back on again sometime soon. But unfortunately, we got to wrap it up for the time being. I want to give you the floor, though. I know you do a podcast. You got the consultancy and a whole lot more. So if people have really enjoyed what you've had to say, what's the best way people can get in touch with you or follow along with your journey? Sure. So uh, Machine Media, that's my contact on all uh, platforms, You know my, my socials. Uh, NFT went to my company that's it's like influence and NFT. So you have NFT UNT, U-E-N-C-E. Uh, it's NFTUNTS.com, NFT UNTS and all socials. Um, you know, reach out. We, we do marketing uh, primarily as our focus, but we, we offer A to Z services. So, you know, smart contracts, dApps, uh, UI, UX, uh, social media, branding, influencers, PR. We, we do it all. Um, the podca- Unregulable Podcast, uh, we are relaunching that soon. Lots of uh, exciting guests on. We, we have 12 episodes shelved right now that I just haven't uh, 
posted yet because you know negotiating uh, deals on that. Um, being ethical in this space, the amount of money they throw at you for promoting, you know, um, bad projects, bad companies that don't align with your values is a, a real test. And you know, I'm I'm looking forward to the day when they offer me amounts of money that makes me think more than think twice. But uh, you know, I, I really do hope that I and I believe that I will, you know, keep my keep my integrity up. But uh, we are we are working on getting that monetized as well. Um, so that's uh, you know, check out the Unruggable podcast. We host interviews with amazing people in the space and get unique perspectives uh, from all walks of life to understand you know their journey in the Web three space and uh, why they do what they do and how they do it and uh, you know what, what keeps you going. It's super important to balance you know the the three chases you have of wealth, health, and happiness and make sure that you are trying getting the trifecta and not putting all your energy into one. Thank you so much for your time. And again, hopefully we'll have you back on sometime soon. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a, been a pleasure. Holy sheesh. What a fun interview, fun perspectives all around. And again, my goal is to make you think as we're going throughout this, giving you opinions, the hey, makes you think just a wee little bit, but let's think about what you want to do when they come for your nfts and they're going to want to come for your nfts because you have them in a physical display that's right we're talking about nifted the official sponsor of the shot to the moon podcast if you're wanting to follow them on twitter it's at nifted underscore if you're looking for a physical display to show off your nfts to family, friends, the whole shebang, top quality, top support, and of course, our favorite here at Shot to the Moon. Otherwise, if you don't have Twitter and you're just wanting to look them up in general, you can check them out at nifted.com. All right, let's talk about history a little bit here, and specifically, the first NFT project ever on Solana. Let's talk with one of the founders and get all the insights. I'm excited today we have Math Freak from Creatures, the first NFT project and play-to-earn game on Solana. Math Freak, thanks so much for coming on. I really, really appreciate it. We got a whole lot to dive into, but give us a little bit of your start in crypto and then how you uh, came about founding Creatures. So one, thank you for letting me come hang out with you today. I was pretty excited about our conversation, so thank you for that. Yeah, my, my journey, like probably uh, like a lot of us, I'm a, I'm a nerd and, you know, we're probably all nerds and in different uh, different ways. But I'm your traditional like computer nerd. Got my first computer when I was six from my grandparents and uh, just nerding out my whole life. And then certainly, you know, fast forward to like, what, 2009 or whenever Bitcoin came out, got very interested in that, uh, learning about it, how it works. I mined some Bitcoin. I really wish I still had those hard drives from, you know, over a decade ago. I was very intrigued when I was learning about uh, learning about it in the, in the first place. Like, wow, this is a way for us to have control over our money. Like when you talk about, you know, banks and other financial instruments, it's like, you know, you, you, you own it, but you, you're not really in control. Right. So the first thing was like, wow, this is really cool. This is this gives me uh, uh, the control over uh, my finances. And then two, it was like, there's no way any government on this planet is going to allow this to, to, to live and thrive. I mean, that was very, you know, in the, in the beginning. Over the course of a couple of years, just learning about other uh, blockchains, whatnot, of course, Ethereum, and then discovering my, my favorite uh, crypto kin in around like 2017 or whatnot, who a couple of years ago migrated to uh, the Solana blockchain. The short story is I'm your typical nerd and blockchain, you know, was really uh, interesting to me. Creatures itself, we are the first 
NFT project, your traditional collection, you know, your 1K, 10K, whatever on Solana. And, you know, over the last couple of years, we've all had some extra time to probably hang out at the house with the uh, global pandemic. In my previous life, before Creatures, I was a project and program manager. So really like delivering, you know, million dollar plus projects for others. And I was like, man, I've built stuff for myself. I've built stuff for work. I want to I want to take I want to go through this process and build something for for me and, and my users and whatnot. I'm also a gamer. I play text based RPG. So you got to be a special kind of nerd to, to be into that kind of genre. But uh, it all just came together like I really wanted to take something through the whole process. I'm into games. It was very important for me to choose as a genre where I can actually deliver. Um, you know, uh, I don't know if you've seen, but. Sometimes there's some bad behavior in our space with uh, lots of promises and not a lot of delivery. Um, so it was important for me to actually like deliver on, on whatever we said we were going to make. Yeah, it all came together with creatures. It's exciting to see kind of a vision unfold and come to be, per se. But there's also that note of the historical aspect within Solana itself. When you guys first launched, what was kind of the Solana ecosystem, and then I guess the Ethereum ecosystem as well. What were you kind of seeing, and what were some of the notable things around that time frame? Yeah, so we're talking, uh, you know, Creatures was born, the actual first Creatures generated on uh, 26 March 2021, so, you know, like a year and a half ago or something. Um, So at the time, there was nothing, there were certainly badass individual artists on Solana that had released, like, individual one-of-one art, and those predated all the projects by uh, by a few months. At the time, there was, you know, other than those one of ones, there was like nothing on Solana. The tooling wasn't really there. Um, the things that we take for granted, like, you know, even a wallet, like even a way to let your users, uh, your collectors look at their NFT. There was you had to build that. Um, there was no candy machine, no meta, you know, uh, NFT standard from Metaplex, no, nothing like that. But certainly it, there, there was plenty of collections on Ethereum. There's certain, you know, OpenSea was, you know, certainly uh, in a very powerful position at that time. And there were other, you know, 10K, 5K, 20K projects out there. And I was very interested in CryptoKitties, you know, just the concept of, yes, it's these cute little pieces of art, but there's also like a gaming aspect when you're talking about breeding CryptoKitties. I mean, that, that was one of the founding visions of, uh, of Creatures, to have a breeding aspect to it, um, similar to, uh, to that. Um, so there were a couple of things like, you know, breeding that uh, I was inspired slash stole from CryptoKitties. Their generation schedule was something that I, uh, I don't think actually, it, in retrospect, in hindsight, it was like a terrible idea because no other project does this. Our original vision was to have creatures generate like uh, like CryptoKitties on a between 10 to 15 minutes, one new creature would come out. And we uh, we actually did that for the first several uh, for several months until, you know, uh, hindsight kicked in. And it's like, you know what? No one's actually interested or patient enough to wait for, you know, one more creature to come out in 15 minutes. So let's go ahead and generate the rest of them. Just looking at one, what are the type of art you know, that's collectors are interested in what are some unique things about the collections that make them a little bit different and then the game was actually very important to me like how can we make it just more than you know 10,000 jpegs how can we make it a little bit more interesting uh than uh, than that 
So it all all came together to uh, you know working with some badass artists to tease out my poorly communicated vision to them, and and they were able to uh, extract. Well, I think we have like forty nine different species of creatures that's uh, in our collection. Yeah, I, I, that was one thing that I kind of stood out to me is that I thought the style of what you had was really interesting. But give me some details about how many there are, what's kind of the game that it's about, and kind of some of the uh, abilities to play and earn with them. Let's, uh, let's unpack those questions. Let me see if I can remember. So yeah, we've got 49 different species. The process behind them, like I, I had n- nothing against other collections. They're all uh, amazing, and certainly there's certain you know, collections that have made hundreds of millions of dollars, right? But I, I didn't, for us, I didn't want to just have like, one or two core like base images with accessories on that. I, I wanted, um, you know, something, a very different experience. So that's why we have so many different uh, species. There's lots of options for you to choose from. As a gamer, I've certainly played, you know, whether it's RPGs or Civilization Six or, you know, different genres of, of game where you spend hundreds of hours in this, you know, game world, this universe collecting things, earning things. But at the end of the day, like when you're done with that game, all of those items, you're just, they're, they're stuck there, right? I can't give them away easily. I can't sell them. I can't gift, I, you know, I can't do, I can't take them to other games and continue that experience. So that was one of the things that it, it seemed very, I, I certainly didn't invent this idea, but it seemed very logical to me. Like NFTs is a way for me to have ownership of something again. And that's, you know, one of the things that I love about uh, the blockchain and NFTs specifically, it's certainly much more than just JPEGs. It's really about empowering you to own things again and deciding what you want to do with those. Like if you look at your movies that you essentially like rent from Netflix or whatever, or your music, you don't really own it. And if you travel, you go to the wrong country, you can't listen to music that you actually paid for because it's not licensed for that, that area and whatnot. It was important to me for, to have come out with this collection, have it be integrated with our uh, first game, uh, which is also called Creatures, and for it not to be stuck there. Like those stats, if you buy, sell, trade, whatever, that, that particular creature, all of their stats go with them. So. We actually have a page, listings.creatures.com, that if it's listed on Magic Eden, then you actually get to see the stats that are typically behind the scenes. So with a text-based RPG, it's um, it's not just like, you know, reading paragraphs and paragraphs. It's not, when I say text-based, I don't, I don't mean that type of game, but it is very much like when you're training your creature, you have a limited amount of energy per day. So you go in and you click the four buttons, you know, the speed, dexterity, strength, and defense. Um, and, and allocates, you know, what do you want to train, um, you know, that day with your limited amount of, of uh, energy. And each player, they value different things. Like, hey, I, you know, for combat, I want this character just to be like a big, strong brute. He's not, you know, they're not going to be very fast. They're not going to be very uh, agile, but they're going to be, you know, super strong. And if they actually land a hit, they're going to kill you. Play full combat. And then other players, you know, value different things. They're like, hey, I want to build this character and it's going to be the fastest creature out there. And each individual hit might not be worth that much. He's going to hit you 10 times before you even know what's going on. So we've got, you know, a training aspect. Uh, We've got combat that's out. We're in our first preseason right now. 
admittedly, like the game today is not as deep as it will be in a year, you know, when we go uh, hit our second birthday. So that's that's what we're focusing on right now. We released our new UI, um, you know, a few months ago at the beginning of the year, actually like designed by a real professional designer, um, which made a, a world of difference. Um, so the next step is really to make it a, a pretty deep RPG. So reading your white paper, there's a message about kin, which is the in-game currency, but it sounds like it's not something that came from you guys and it was a, a currency that already existed. It is. And uh, every project is going to do what's best for them, right? So, but for us, like coming out with a successful, whether it was in the very beginning when we released or even now, it's really the same, like coming out with a successful collection and success from not just the project's perspective, but also the collector's perspective, coming out and releasing and having a successful project, NFT project, that's like an impossible task all by itself. It's incredibly difficult to do. And you can look at the stats of any, you know, the, the dozens of projects that come out every day and week and see like, where are they at a month later? So that all by itself is incredibly difficult. Coming out with a new cryptocurrency and doing what you need to do to convince anyone interested in it that actually has value and showing where that value comes from and why they should buy it and keeping that value and hopefully increasing the value of the coin, that's like another impossible task. Like it is incredibly, incredibly difficult to do that. There are Huge organizations, Facebook, right, Libra, um, their their coin that they've uh, spun off into an open source project. They're like huge enterprises, big and small companies that have solely focused on releasing a coin. And you know, you can look at Coin Market Cap and see like how many are actually could be considered successful, right? Just a couple of handful could be considered successful. So I wasn't looking to stack like impossible task on impossible task. Like I wanted to make a cool collection um, that collectors valued, however they define uh, what's valuable to them. I wanted to come out with a cool game that I actually released and gamers uh, enjoyed and and had fun with it every day. Um, And uh, I was not trying to get distracted by, all right, let me come up with this fake coin. You can look at, you know, there's certainly very successful projects that have released coins like Dust and ApeCoin. There's a couple out there. Um, that are actually could be considered successful, but how many actually have come out in the last year, right? Like, I, I don't know, like hundreds, freaking thousands. Almost every project has their own coin. And can you take that monkey hairball coin in Phantom and swap it for anything else? Like most times it doesn't even come up in the swap uh, uh, in Phantom or Radium because there's like no liquidity because it is at that point in time, uh, you would not consider it successful. So Kin already existed. I, I already loved uh, how it operates uh, with Kin. Basically, the mining operation is if you're a developer or a team and you build something that is delightful and useful to users uh, and they participate in the ecosystem, they're buying and selling, you know, buying things with their Kin. You get credit for that. And you essentially like that's essentially like the mining operation. So every week, the Cree, the Kin reward engine sends out, you know, your your kin emissions based on um, the, the ecosystem that you're contributing to. Um, so I love that concept. It's like, hey, I don't have to monetize by uh, killing you with ads. I don't have to monetize by selling your data. Like, I, I hate all of those things. 
it's like if I build something cool that people like, I get rewarded for that. And, and I was like, that's it's a natural fit with what we were uh, trying to do. So, um, yeah, Ken, it's independent of creatures. It existed for years before us. And as a collector, you know, you're staking and whatnot. You, I hope and, you know, what we see is collectors um, are they have additional confidence that even if creatures, even if we were to like crash and burn all of the kin they earn, it like still matters. And it's, that still has value. Um, and how many other projects can you say that about like with their coin that they've invented? If that project dies, does the coin still have value if it had value in the first place? Love the insight. It's exciting talking to you here in about these aspects of why you made certain decisions. And I, I think that it's a good call, right? Like there is the notion that at least back when the bull run was going on that, hey, the world's your oyster and you can literally do anything. But there's still that hidden, hey, what's what's going to be best? What's going to be sustainable? Talking about sustainable on the best. When I tried looking into Solana for the first time last year, I found out right away, holy crap, there's a lot of different marketplaces and I don't really know where to look, where for... Ethereum is pretty much open sea. Obviously, there's a few more marketplaces right now. But for somebody that's not really familiar with Solana, can you give us some insight about some of the different marketplaces, if one's better than another, and just kind of a quick little lowdown on that? Yeah, the, the space has evolved in, in an incredible amount over the last like year and a half since we started. So really, the very first marketplace that was uh, that was out there was created by the second collection behind Creatures. So Creatures started in March of 2021. Uh, a couple of weeks later, Solarians, who they have some sick art. It's pretty uh, It's pretty cool. They came out uh, a few weeks later in uh, March, April, but they actually created uh, Digitalized. Um, so that was really the first marketplace for Solana that came out. Um, and, you know, at the time, uh, from my perspective, I was like, oh, thank God, because, again, I wanted to create a collection and a game. I did not want to create, you know, a wallet. I didn't want to have to create the eBay for NFTs. I didn't want to have to like create OpenSea for Solana. Um, there are so many things that we take for granted today that it's like, I don't want to build all those other things. I just want to make a game and a collection. So I was pretty happy when Digitalize actually came out. It's like, okay, thank God. Now we have our version of OpenSea and there's an actual marketplace for our collectors. So Digitalize was, uh, was the first founded by that second project uh, right after us, Solarians. And then, you know, a few months later, we've got Magic Eden, which has a vast majority of the uh, the volume today. In just like nine months, they had like a billion dollar plus evalu- or evaluation. They're, they're definitely the, uh, the big dog for NFTs on Solana. And then, you know, they've recently expanded to, I don't know if you can actually... The Ethereum NFTs in Magic Eden just yet, but you can actually pay in Sol or ETH um, now on on Magic Eden, which is pretty cool. But you also have like uh, Solon Art Hyperspace, which is an aggregator. Um, Solport, which is a uh, you, know, so, uh, you know most people have heard of Solport Tom, and he's a freaking genius, and uh, they're doing great things. Uh, and then certainly you have maybe your more controversial choice of Yaw, which basically like ignores the uh, creator royalties. We could probably spend all day talking about that for, you know, for your bang, for your buck. If you want to see everything, you'll probably start out with hyperspace since it aggregates 
listings from all of the different marketplaces and the fees are a little bit less, but Magic Eden is, is definitely the big dog. So as you've been one of the founders of, well, actually, sorry, let me ask that. How big is your team? Uh, we've got five. You got five. Uh, there's okay. you know, my, myself, marketing, you know, myself and then our marketing lead. Got a, like a community manager, Nico, is awesome. And then two other developers, Alex, who's actually in the Ukraine. He had, uh, you know, he had to move from the west side or east side of Ukraine to the west side. Um, he, he's an amazingly talented uh, uh, developer, uh, full stack developer. And I, I just don't know how he's even able to be as productive as he is, you know, with everything that he's dealing with. And then we have uh, SDK, who's another one of our developers in, uh, in Texas. They they handle. Uh, I'm our like backend developer, so um, you can you can certainly look at the first version of our game and uh, tell that I have no design like abilities at all. It was very uh, brutalistic. You're like basically playing in Notepad. So I do all of our backend development uh, and SDK and uh, or Alex and um, and Austin do uh, the the front end stuff. So as you guys have kind of a smaller team, but historically you guys have a big precedent, and I think that you know your stuff, at least have been living through it on top of, you know, executing on it. So can you give some maybe lessons or things that have happened that you've learned that would really help other project founders that might be listening into this? Yeah, absolutely. So number one, um, you got to start. So like for myself, um, uh, planning and preparing and getting things ready, um, it's needed. You got to do it to uh, to be successful, but you have to time box yourself because it's very easily, very easy to let planning and preparing turn into a form of procrastination. So like you can look at our, our very first tweet. It was like February 2021 at like 3 a.m., um, where like right before that, uh, I was like, you know, I reached effort level. Like I screw it. I, I need to start and actually like release this to the world. It's scary. You just have to realize that not all feedback is good feedback or valuable. Some of it's going to be toxic. So it's very scary, but you, you got to start. So time box, you know, you're planning, but uh, get get your stuff out there. And then really the other major thing, other than just you got to start, is you need to deliver. Like it's, I think with all of the bad behavior that's uh, probably across all chains and whatnot, you know, it's not, uh, it's not, um, you know, just, uh, just on Solana, but there's certainly a lot of, a lot of promises. Uh, There's been, you know, certainly our fair share of rugs and whatnot. You need to be realistic in, in what you're doing. You need to communicate, like, you know, why should your collectors even give a crap in the first place? Like, you know, is it is it you're releasing some sick art and that's it? And that's, you know, that's fine. But everyone needs to know, like, what they're getting out of it. And then whatever you decide that you're saying, like, the project's about, you got to deliver. You got to deliver on a reasonable time frame. And I think that part is... Uh, Projects are starting to separate themselves because collectors are becoming more discerning. Um, you know, there's not every piece of trash project that mints today is minting out. And it's because, um, you know, collectors have been burned uh, so many times that they're actually like asking um, important critical questions like, do you, 
do you already have a team or are you using mint funds to find a team? Like, do you even have the skills to deliver on what you're saying you're going to deliver? So, you know, be realistic on what, whatever it is that your project's about, communicate that, and then you got to deliver. So you got to start and then you actually have to deliver the two, two biggest things I would say. So I'm sitting here, I got my, you know, legs kicked up, chewing some gum in hypothetical, and I'm like, ah, I got some Solana, and I, you know, I might go out and buy an NFT, and oh, I came across Creatures. Give me the two-minute sales pitch about why I should be jumping in and why right now. If you're in this space right now, one, you're early, everyone's heard that a million times, and you, you probably have some aspect of you that's, you know, you're, you're a degen at least a little bit, right? If you're in this space so early with all of the exciting things uh, that are out right now. So you're going to, I'm no different. I, I have whatever, a thousand different things in my wallet that I've, uh, I've degened about and picked up because they were exciting or I thought, uh, you know, they were going to do, you know, have some kind of return on its investment. And I think we can all probably count on a single hand how many actual like winners there are. Um, but if you're talking about creatures, look, here's, here's some, the one thing that I have take comfort in is, we want to make our game even deeper. Uh, our, we have a, we're coming out with our second game. That's a more traditional game. It's like F Zero, you know, built in uh, Unreal Engine. So it's a low G hover racer. Um, so we're coming out with our second game. All of your stats in the first game are going to matter in the second game. But you know, coming out with a new game that mainstream gamers actually find interesting and fun—that's an incredibly hard thing to do. But what I take comfort in is. We were the first. Like, there's no taking that away. And if the first, if being the first didn't matter, then you wouldn't see every other project out there going, well, we were the first to have animation and we were the first to mint on one leg on a Thursday. Like, I'm not taking anything away from them, but if being first didn't matter, projects wouldn't be doing their best lawyer impression to, to be able to claim first as uh, in, in with some flavor. So I take comfort in, we were the first on Solana. So at some point in time, that's going to matter. So you know what? If we if we burn, crash and burn and fail at coming out with a successful game, um, I take comfort in the fact that being first is going to matter at some point in time. So just keep it in your wallet with the other thousand things that you have. And the kin that you're earning is independent of uh, our success. So that's going to, to matter. So if you're a collector, yeah, like DGN out, have fun, but why would you not pick up one creature? If we could all go back in time, how many of us would have picked up at least one puck on uh, on Ethereum or, or any of the other early collections on Ethereum? Like you, if you could go back in time and grab one, you probably would. Um, so from you know my perspective, it's like, hey, we are delivering on what we're saying. We're communicating. We're still here. We've been grinding away at a year, you know, for a year and a half. Um, there's not a whole lot of projects that uh, have that kind of longevity and are still, you know, working, uh, you know, grinding away. But at the end of the day, like we were the first collection, that's probably going to matter. So you might want to get just one. Talk about a little bit of an elevator spitz. speech, not a spit. <laughs> and I love it. Listen, math freak. If someone's listening and they want to follow creatures, if they help, maybe they want to even get in touch with you and follow you on your journey. What's the best way to do both? Start with our, our Twitter. We're creatures. Um, no, no underscore or anything like that. Just uh, just creatures. 
Um, and that has our link tree with our Discord and our, uh, you know, our website, creatures.com. You can go there as well. Um, but, uh, yeah, like I, I'm, you know, on the team, we're in Discord and our collectors every single day. We're a pretty chill, uh, pretty chill, uh, bunch. It, it's, it, you know, when you're talking about collectors, it's really hard to be a collector in a lot of, in a lot of communities. There's a whole bunch of homework for you to do to get anything out of it. Like, and we, we just hang out. So come hang out with us. And then, yeah, hit, hit me up on Discord, on Twitter, on uh, whatever, you know, email me at Daniel at Creatures.com and, and we'll chat it up. All right. Well, listen, thanks so much for coming on and wish you all the best with the future of the first NFT project on Solana. Thank you so much. Have a great day. Triple, double, banger. All right, that's going to wrap it up for this episode of Shot to the Moon. Listen, as always, I appreciate you guys tuning in, hanging out. If you're wanting to follow me on Twitter, it's at Stephen underscore S-C-H-I-L-L. Don't forget, it's Stephen with a V instead of a P. But speaking of P, peace out. Catch you next week. Peace.